Welcome once again to Bethany Community Church. And whether you're with us here in the sanctuary or worshiping online, I am with you virtually today because of the reality that as we gather on this Sunday, I'm actually up in the high country leading a training trip for our Ancient Paths ministry with our Ancient Paths guides. So uh, please pray for us as we're in the we're in the outdoors over the weekend. But it is a joy to be with you, and I wanted to share this sermon today because it kicks off our series. So we're looking at the theme of the fruit of the Spirit this summer. Please join me in prayer as we begin. Father, I'd like to thank you that in this very tumultuous and challenging time in our culture, that you cause us to rise above the divisions and rancor and bitterness and polarization that so characterizes the world in which we live, calling us to something better, calling us to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Would you equip us toward that end in these moments, Father? Give us ears to hear what you and your Holy Spirit are saying to we who desire to follow you and represent your heart, and we'll thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This, of course, in June is a remarkable time of year because of all the new life and new creation that we see all around us, from the new green tips on the Douglas fir trees here in the northwest, the blackberry uh, blossoms in in Seattle, and the new grapes in Yakima. It's a season uh, when we're mindful of fruit bearing. And much of it happens naturally, but not all of it happens naturally. Some of it happens through cultivation. And in that case, the cultivator has a justifiable expectation that his work, his investment in the soil and the land, will result in fruit. This is what we heard read in Isaiah chapter 5, which is this articulation of uh, someone who owns a vineyard, and they invest in the soil, and they prepare the soil, and they expect justifiably that the vine will produce good fruit and it produces bad fruit. And this becomes a picture that would be elicited in the minds of the hearers when Jesus in John 15 said this, Abide in me and you will bear fruit and every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit will be taken away. So Jesus said it, Isaiah said it, it's true for all of us, we the people of God, bearing fruit is our calling. And Paul takes this a step further when he defines the various fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and on we go. So this fruit of looking like Jesus is Jesus' metric for successful discipleship. In other words, what does it mean to follow Christ? It means to grow in our lives so that increasingly our actual presence in the world is characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. And if you're not bearing fruit, you become a branch that, according to Jesus, is taken away. In other words, you find yourself outside of the experience of being fully aligned with God's story. You're not living the life for which you're created. So it's vital that all of us then work at, in a sense, this calling to bear fruit. Because much fruit, much fruit, is the expectation from Jesus. And let me just ask the question then of all of us collectively and each of us individually, does our social media feed reflect much fruit? 
Does our collective loss of civility, our ideological echo chambers, our silence regarding current forms of idols such as nationalism and individualism and materialism and, and our failure to care for the least of these, including the unborn, we, we fail at living in such a way that our lives are filled with both grace and truth and dialogue and listening so that we are displaying nothing less than the character of Jesus. In other words, we're lacking the fruit of the Spirit. It's all around us. Uh, the fruit of the flesh are articulated in Galatians chapter 5 as uh, you know, bitterness and, and anger and, and, and gossip and factions and dissension. That's our culture. And now we're invited to live differently by displaying the fruit of the Spirit. I would argue this. It's a very loud time right now. Lots of divisiveness. Lots of social media uh, uh, grenades tossing back and forth between left and right. Lots of isolation. Lots of tribalism. But the absence of the fruit of the Spirit among the people of God, our anger, our bitterness... Our, our gossip, our tribalism, is the canary in the coal mine. In other words, it's this warning that if we don't fix this, five years from now, the church will look dramatically different than it does today. Young people are leaving the church at a faster rate right now than ever before. Uh, we who follow God are seen as shouting at, at each other, as hungry for power, especially political power, we're seen as demonizing those with whom we disagree. We're seen as those who are willing to resort to violence to preserve our status in the world. And uh, young people are seeing this and leaving, and I don't blame them. I don't worry about the church with a big definite article, but I do have questions about the future of American evangelical Christianity because unless a decent crop of fruit begins to show up in the next five years, I doubt this form of church that we know now holds up another generation. We must take fruit bearing seriously as Jesus did. And then we must see that fruit cannot be created by our own self-effort. Fruit is a byproduct of abiding. It's not actually within our sphere of influence to be able to, quote-unquote, produce fruit. And yet, ironically, we are enabled to expect fruit because if we abide in Christ, we'll display Christ's life and the nature of Christ's life will be reproductive, will bear fruit. So I need to embrace three realities if I'm to live into this reality of, of being a fruit-bearing disciple of Christ. Reality number one, there's a goal and I must embrace it. The goal is to be fruitful. Reality number two, there's a means to reaching that goal, which is abiding in Christ. I must embrace that. And number three, there's a warning. If I fail to bear fruit, I, no matter how influential I am, how rich I am, how, how enjoyable my life is, if I fail to bear fruit, I am not living the life for which I'm created. I'm outside of God's story. So a, a, a goal, a means, a warning. Let's look at those three things in our time together today. First of all, there's a goal. Embrace it. And the goal is this, fruitfulness. There's two kinds of fruit that we want to see. There's, there's uh, the first kind of fruit, which is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. God's desire, in other words, is to change 
how we present in this world, in our body. We're called to embody the character of Jesus. And when we do that, we will look like, each of us uniquely, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's clear that the point of Christ's coming, living, dying, rising, and now taking up residence in us as the life force is so that Christ now living in us will empower us and enable us to display uniquely the character of Christ. And when that displays properly, we'll be joyful people. We'll be kind people. We won't be cynical people. We won't be divisive people. We won't be tribal people. We won't be rage people. We won't be fear-based people. So this world in which we live pulls us into rancor and bitterness and arguing. It happens all the time, online and elsewhere. And so we have to see that coming to Christ, filling our lives with information, and then giving mental assent to beliefs about the deity of Christ and the authority of Scripture is ultimately not the point. Coming to Christ is important. Believing the right things about Jesus is important. But only to what end? And the end is always this, that we would look like Jesus. And that means that we would behave differently in traffic. That means that we would be present with our children rather than looking at our phone when our children are speaking to us. That means that when someone says something with which we disagree online, we don't respond cynically as I have been guilty of doing. (laughs) So to display Christ must be in our kind of paradigm at the forefront of our assessment of our answer to this question, how you doing? Because how you doing doesn't really mean uh, what's your LDL level, your HDL level, your cholesterol level. What, 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 what's your net worth? Uh, how, how many activities you're going to this summer? Are you, did you get tickets to the concert? That's not how you're doing. I mean, it's fine. They're not unimportant things. But the metric that is intended by God to define our lives is this. Are you bearing fruit? Do you look like Jesus? So the first kind of fruit is the fruit of spirit. The second kind of fruit, also significant, but not central to our theme this summer, but a byproduct of looking like Jesus. Second kind of fruit is the fruit of influence. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told to run the race of faith with endurance. And we're told that one of the reasons that motivates us to run the race is because there's a cloud of witnesses who've gone before us. Now, um, there's a debate when you look at the text in Hebrews chapter 12 regarding what that cloud of witnesses is theologically. And when there's a debate, I tend to step away and go, ah, there are good people on both sides. Nobody really knows And then I ask the question, what do I know? And here's what I do know about the cloud of witnesses. I know this much. I know that there are others who have carried the torch before me and that I'm to run my race mindful that others have run their race to set an example. We're here today because of St. Paul and Augustine 
and Martin Luther and St. Patrick and in the previous century, the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Sophie Scholl and Martin Luther King and Henrietta Mears and Billy Graham and all, all kinds of people that God used. My predecessor here at Bethany Community Church, Pastor John McCullough, over and over and over again, people in our lives who have profoundly influenced our culture so that we carry a torch today because others faithfully went before us. Not perfectly, not without blind spots, but faithfully. And so I don't cancel people who don't agree agree perfectly with me in all my theology. I still see people as witnesses who went before me with faithfulness to the light that they'd received And I not only honor them, but I run my race now as one who has received the torch from them, and it's my job to carry the torch faithfully today. So there's this fruit of influence. Others have influenced me. And then in particular, there are those who have influenced me, not just cultural heroes, but particular people, my parents who adopted me in Oakland, California, my band teacher who affirmed my gifts in music, a friend who served uh, 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 in a ministry board down in Southern California who's a friend of mine at Cal Poly who influenced me with a ministry of encouragement, uh, a pastor and Bible teacher who spoke, and as a result of his speaking, I changed my major, changed, changed my college, changed states, ultimately at the seminary where my seminary professor took me aside and said, Richard, you have a gift in teaching. Major Ian Thomas, my mentor and founder of Torchbearers, who invited me to take up the mantle of teaching with Torch First. People have influenced me culturally and individually. They, are my, they constitute my cloud of witnesses. Listen, every one of us has a cloud of witnesses. And now when we come to this notion of fruit, here's what we're told. Each one of us are intended to be a witness to those who are coming after us. So we see this kind of relay in at least three legs. There are those who have gone before me, culturally and individually. I receive the torch from them. I know Christ. I love Christ. And I know my gifts because others paved the way. Now I'm carrying the torch. And now I'm passing the torch to yet another generation. And passing that torch is fruit bearing. It's the fruit of influence. So you're made... To bless the world by investing in others and just being an example in the lives of others. And here's what happens so often in all of our lives. When we're invited to the mantle of fruit bearing through the gift of influence, many of us who would be gathered on a day like this, our response would be this. No, I can't do this. I I don't have it because I myself am struggling. I have questions about my faith. I have questions about the goodness of God. I, I didn't raise my children perfectly. I have my own issues. Yes, 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 yes. And God never asked you to be perfect. Your gift of influence isn't rooted in perfection. Your gift of influence... Is actually rooted in your testimony of ongoing transformation. 
which becomes a testimony of God's ability to change lives and God's mercy and God's grace and God's relentless commitment to you. Remember when uh, Moses is called to be fruitful through the gift of influence, he does not want to embrace the calling and he doesn't want to become a leader. And he's arguing with God. You can read in Exodus chapter three and four. And when he says to God, hey, listen, what will my credibility be for the people that I'm leading? God says to Moses, take your hand, put it in your mantle, your coat. He puts it and he pulls it out. It's, lepro- it's all sick, leprosy, diseased, his hand. He puts it back in, it's clean. And God says, boom, there's your credibility, Moses. It's not that people will see you as perfect. It's that people will see you as moving from darkness to light. From, from impatience to patience, from, from frustration and bitterness and anger to, to love, from fear to courage, from isolation to solidarity. Your testimony, your influence is not your perfection, so don't worry about it. Your influence is your transformation. And so just stay on the journey and live your life openly as a, as a movie of transformation. And in that movie, there will be failure. And there will be doubt. And there will be sin. But there will be repentance. And there will be confession. And there will be truth-telling. There will be forgiveness. And there will be movement. And when people see movement, they say, that's what I want. So two forms of fruit, right? Like this internal character of being like Jesus... And then this place that you find in history, you're chapter two. Chapter one was those who've gone before you. Chapter two is you. Chapter three, those in whom you invest. And how do you invest? By being present. My wife has done this for years as the, the recruiter of mentor moms in the MOPS ministry at Bethany Community Church. And often her story would be she'd go to a mom and ask her, uh, an older mom who's raise her children, and say, hey, would you be willing to be a mentor mom? Oh, no, I could never be a mentor mom. You know, I'm not worthy. No one's worthy. It's not the point. The point is, our story is the story of God's mercy and God's relentless pursuit of us and God's transformation. And when we simply share our lives, wow, good things happen. Fruit of influence. So, your call to fruit, embrace it. That's your goal. That's why you're here. And now the good news is there's a means to becoming fruitful. There's a way to become a fruitful person. And the means is abiding. Jesus says it in John 15. It's very simple. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Simple to say, not simple to do. Abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. So abide is the means. Therefore, stay connected if you're the branch to the vine. So the, the, the active verb in the text in John 15, when Jesus says bear fruit, uh, he doesn't say, okay, you go out and bear fruit. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. So the bearing of fruit is a byproduct of the active verb. 
And when you're doing your Bible study, always look for the active verb. In other words, what is God asking me to do? God did not say, hey, go be fruitful. That is a prevailing Western way of thinking. I'm going to go be fruitful. I'm going to go build a ministry. I'm going to go raise a family. I'm going to go build a sphere of influence. I'm going to go change the world. Don't do that. You may have a sphere, and you may raise a family, and you, and you may change the world, but your first job is to abide. And when you abide, those things happen as a byproduct of abiding. So the production of fruit isn't some gaudy display of actions. The production of fruit is simply this, the byproduct of you living in such a way that you are continually drawing on the resource of Christ's life. So, so when you inhale, the oxygen in your lungs moves into your bloodstream and feeds your nerves and muscles so that you can live your life. You're continually, by inhaling, receiving oxygen. The oxygen is always there, it's available, but it begins with breathing. And in the same way, Christ is always available, but you must kind of inhale Christ. And you do this through meditation and, and scripture reading and at times solitude and at times fasting and, and, a, and a life of daily prayer. And as you do this, because you develop what we call here at Bethany Community Church a rule of life, you develop these habits. These habits don't change you. Christ changes you. What these habits do is they, they clear the channels so that nothing less than the resurrected Jesus finds freedom to do the work of transformation in you because you're continuing to draw on the resources of Christ's life. So abiding is the positive action we take. And the fact that we're called to take this action is empowering. When we allow ourselves to be kind of overwhelmed with despair because of things we see in the news cycle and then we fire off some snarky word on social media or we gossip or we triangulate, those are signs that we're not abiding. And if we're not abiding, our reaction to events in our lives or in the news cycle will be misguided every time. Our reaction will eventually become cynicism, pride, disengagement, rage, shame, hate, something ugly. But abiding not only prevents the ugly, abiding empowers the flowering of that which is beautiful and looks like Jesus. There were some events this past week that were so disappointing and angering to me, I couldn't eat. Lost some sleep. Couldn't even enjoy a simple game of ping pong with my wife. I was so upset. And there are moments in our lives when it feels like we're being assaulted with bad news, bad news, more bad news. It's, it's cultural. It's national. It's global. It's personal. It's family. And it just feels hopeless. Like there's not a thing you can do about it. And here's the reality, you can't do anything about it. And maybe you can't even say anything about it to be redemptive in the moment. But you can do one thing. You can abide. That's what you can do. You can continue to draw upon the resources of Christ's life and bring before Christ the issues that are concerning to you in prayer and <clears throat> become more deeply rooted in your identity in Christ. 
by reminding yourself that Christ lives in you, that you have the fullness of the, of the Holy Spirit within you, that you have access to all the love and joy and peace and patience that is God. And as you abide, that abiding allows Christ and the kind of the wind of the Spirit to move you into the next action, whatever is the action that is the right action. And so you do something. If you're Rosa Parks, uh, you, you don't move on the bus. If you're Dietrich Bonhoeffer and you're arrested, you're put in prison, then, then you begin writing letters to people. And remember what Jesus said, abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Rosa Parks never saw her fruit. Not fully realized. But there was fruit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer never saw his fruit. Not fully. He wrote letters. But he didn't know that his letters from prison would eventually be published as a book. And he had no way of knowing that in the 1980s, a young pastor who felt like quitting during one particularly hard year would read that book for the first time and cement his calling for the rest of his life. He, he had no way of knowing. We don't see most of the fruit. Doesn't matter. We don't need to see fruit. We sow with confidence by doing whatever it is that the wind of the Spirit has guided us to do through open doors and opportunities. We sow with confidence believing that we are nothing less than the presence of Christ in the moment, and then we leave the results in God's hands. So I want to encourage you to develop your own rule of life, and there are ways to do that. I'll make sure that in our resource guide today, uh, you'll have a number that you can text to find a rule of life, a little document that'll help you. And there's YouTube videos about our rule of life that you can access as well. We'll put all that information in our notes, both both on YouTube and online and in our bulletin. So let's do that. And then understand that if you're going to live a life of fruit, there will also be pruning. And pruning has to do with suffering and loss. Jesus said, every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. And this means that even at our healthiest, there will be in our lives seasons of loss and pain and challenge where there's a cutting away. So the, the part of the growing process is a pruning in our lives so that we might focus on the things that are most important to us and our calling so that we might, we might bear the fruit that, that, that God has for us. And finally, there's a, there's a warning. And the warning is loss. Jesus says, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Now, this taking away doesn't mean a loss of your, you know, eternal destiny. This taking away means that you're in a in the terrible position of being made to display fruit and live with liberty as the wind of the Spirit takes you places you'd never otherwise go and has you doing things you'd never otherwise do. And instead of being in this beautiful stream of God's activity, 
by virtue of your insistence on living cut off from the transforming resurrected Jesus who lives in you. Like you're, you're resisting that. When you resist that, now you're missing the life for which you are created. And there's nothing worse than being out of alignment with the life for which God created you. It would be as if you have tremendous gifts to play basketball and instead you become an accountant. Or as if you wanted to be a dentist from the time you were four years old and instead you end up becoming a construction worker or vice versa. God has made you, Ephesians 2, to live in such a way that nothing less than the life of Christ is expressed uniquely through you. And that life awaits you, but you don't create it, you abide. And then when you abide, God creates it. I've spoken uh, to graduating seniors and uh, college students many times about finding calling, finding vocation. And I've often said at the outset of such a talk, you know, over the course of my lifetime, my first job was uh, working maintenance in in an arena, a sports arena in California, picking up after... Events, And then I worked in shipping and receiving in a steel factory. And then I got into architecture. And when I got into architecture, I worked a few summers as a, as a, as a draftsman. And then I changed my major and I came up to Seattle Pacific and I worked a job in uh, uh, hospitality uh, as the, the welcome person at International House of Pancakes down by uh, the Key Arena at the Seattle Center, and then and then I went from there to working security, and from working security down in Los Angeles, I started uh, an in-school Boy Scout program with the the Boy Scouts of America, and then I you know I worked in um, carpet cleaning down there. I worked in a hospital and shipping and receiving, and every one of those experiences. God used in some way to move me toward ultimately an alignment between gifts and calling. And my desire for every one of us is that we find alignment with our gifts and our calling. And it doesn't mean that your vocation is necessarily where your gifts find fullest expression. It may mean that, but it does mean this. It does mean that as you abide in Christ, God, God begins to use every experience in your life to move you toward a greater and greater and greater and greater representation of Jesus so that though it's a movie and it's filled with setbacks and disappointments and failures, the trajectory is this. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, from glory to glory to glory to glory. You keep receiving the life of Christ daily, actively. That's abiding. And then you rest knowing, knowing, you are made for fruit and God is producing fruit. Then you begin to expect fruit 
And then life becomes the adventure that is inviting and compelling to so many in a time when we live in a fruit desert. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you have made us for fruit. And as we look at the various fruits of the Spirit this summer, my prayer is that you would, um, kind of in the healthiest sense of the, of the word, give us an obsession with abiding in order that in our abiding, Father, you would have the freedom to allow love to germinate in a time of hate and kindness to germinate in a time of rancor and cynicism. God, our world desperately needs to see the the beauty of this fruit. We need to see it in one another as we re-engage and re-enter it and in our own lives. So we commit this summer of study to you, but more significantly, we commit our lives to you asking that you would produce in us nothing less than the fruit of the resurrected Jesus. And we'll thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship together.